Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, where we listen to and learn from people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Asha Davis, Strategy Director of TVWA Shy Day New York. Welcome to the Disruptor Series. Today's guest is Caroline Martin, writer on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, comedy writer, sketch performer, actress extraordinaire. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you. We're so excited to have you on today's show. So I definitely have to kick it off by asking you, what is it like to be a writer on The Tonight Show in these crazy times? Yeah, I mean, I was hired in August during the pandemic. So all I know is being at home by myself, submitting my work, and then like going to my couch and watching Grey's Anatomy. So that's kind of like (laughs) the vibe. But you know, it still is a very stressful job, like looking at the news, especially, you know, before the election, Trump every single day, and, you know, the Breonna Taylor case, and like looking at this hard hitting news and trying to find a glimmer of something funny was difficult, but it also, I think, was great for my brain to have a purpose during that time. And now, post-election, we're doing small news, we're doing news about chipmunks doing things. <laughs> it's like really, it's really fun. But um, yeah, it's kind of a, a strange version of The Tonight Show because I have a live feed where I can see everything that's happening in the studio. I have Zoom meetings with all of the other writers and we're pitching, but it is a, a different climate. You know, if you pitch a joke or an idea and you can see people laughing, but they're all on mute on their Zoom, it's a little, <laughs> it does something to your your soul a tiny bit. <laughs> yes, I, I definitely can can understand and, and relate to you. I do stand up as well and doing your jokes and you see people's mouth moving, <laughs> but you know, it, it, it is weird and it's really hard for people to kind of pay attention for the whole time. At least you're in a writer's room where you have kind of more of a captive audience, you know, yeah. but, and it must be quite different, especially sort of coming from a sketch background mm-hmm. um, as well, you know, which is very much kind of hands-on in person, right? Yeah, I mean, at The Tonight Show, there are two different writing teams and I'm on the sketch team. So I'm still getting to do a lot of the same work there, but I would say the difference is that for a live sketch show, maybe we would have like a month to really punch something up as far as like improve the jokes and then rehearse it on stage multiple times. Think about your props, think about your costumes, whatever. And with the tonight show, you know, it's, a machine that resets every morning and you really need to get that script ready to go and approve exactly what it's going to look like that day. So it is a really intense pace that was definitely something new that I had to adjust to. It's also very different to be at home watching kind of silently uh, from yeah. your Zoom window versus like I'm in the studio or I'm in the house. I can whisper over some improvements or, you know, be around the people laughing to really feel like, man, we did it. But it yeah. really is just kind of like, all right, well, that felt good. Close my laptop. <laughs> you know, it's a little different. Yeah. Yeah, it's so bizarre. And I mean, it is quite a transition, you know, to go from something where you have, as you said, time, a month, mm-hmm. even a few weeks, yeah. um, to something where it's literally 
you've got that day and that's it. And you got to yep. submit by that time, right? Mm -hmm. I'm glad that we're back to chipmunk stories because I've <laughs> definitely had my fill of the heavy stuff, yeah. you know? But kind of getting a little bit into your sketch background and in particular Astronomy Club. For our listeners that may not be familiar, Astronomy Club is a sketch comedy show that is most recently on Netflix. So if you haven't seen it, please check that out. One of the things that I'm just very curious about is hearing the story of how that came to be. For some, again, of our, of our listeners, Caroline is part of a pretty popular sketch group and actually one of the first, if not the first, kind of all-Black sketch comedy mm -hmm. group. And so for myself, being sort of a comedy writer and, and in the world, it was quite powerful for me to see Astronomy Club come to life. And I, I'm so curious to hear about the origin story, how it came to be, and, and how we're seeing it on Netflix. Sure. Yeah. Um, so we were the first all black sketch team, kind of improv team at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York City. And the way that we all came together, we were all kind of just around New York City performing at different theaters, some at UCB or the Magnet or the Pitt Theater. And James, one of the members of Astronomy Club, he started scouting us. I was doing a show at the pit and he came up to me after and was just like, do you want to come to this rehearsal? It's for this team, Astronomy Club, and it's all people of color. And I just am really sick of feeling tokenized in the different spaces that I've been in or, you know, having different frustrating experiences within different classes. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll check it out. And when I got there, the team was stacked. Right. Like I'm kind of the second youngest on the team and I knew everybody else. I've seen them perform, especially um, Keisha Zoller, who she was on this team doppelganger with Sashir Zameda, mm -hmm. who was on SNL and Nicole Byer, who is, oh my gosh, killing a dang it. treat, killing <laughs> it. And the three of them had this team where they would just destroy. They were doing this uh, show called Cage Match, where if you won, if the audience voted for you, you got to stay. And they had this epic run one summer where they just kept winning. And from my background of doing improv in college, I went to Brown. I was the only woman on my team and the only Black woman. And seeing another Black woman, but seeing three, and they were so good, was so exciting. So when I walked into that room to see Astronomy Club and to rehearse, basically audition to be on the team, I felt really excited and privileged to be invited into this small community and we just kept rehearsing and it felt really great and we decided that we were going to audition as a team at ucb there are a couple auditions a year and you go in and audition with a group of eight people or so and then maybe one person will move on to the next round but you do really benefit from performing with people you know because you know yeah. that they'll take care of you you have an idea of how they respond to things and you just feel safer but the theater decided to put all of us up as a team together which was the second time in the theater's history that they had done that yeah. where they're like you guys are fantastic together we'll put you guys on and we performed improv for a season a year and then the team was basically told okay we're going to take parts of you guys and put you onto different teams and we were kind of liquidated really? but then we were like you know what we loved performing together our shows are fantastic let's do a sketch show yeah. so in addition to performing improv on other teams we just started meeting writing taking things that we did live and you know just putting them up into a show and that show was called a journey through black history mm -hmm. from that comedy central saw us and in 2016 we were comics to watch we did a digital series with them. 
And then we used a lot of that information to show Netflix what we're all about. And they gave us our season. So it really was a long journey. We met in 2015 and then our show came out the December before last. So it was like really a step-by-step process. And, you know, we're still working together. We're hoping to find another home. I can't talk about that, but (laughs) we're still working together and finding another platform for Astronomy Club. But it is a pretty ridiculous, like how we came together almost feels like Black Avengers, maybe? <laughs> so. Okay, so we're going to quote that. Okay, so the Black <laughs> Avengers here. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah, for, you know, basement improv comedy, you yeah. know, but it was, uh, I love those guys. They're like family. I, I know them longer than most other friends. So it's a pretty special group. It's interesting because Kenya Barris, who mm-hmm. is the producer, director of uh, Blackish, and and he's also got his own show on Netflix as well. It was kind of a driving force, I think, behind you guys kind of getting your deal. What was it like working with him? What impact did he have on the team? Yeah, so we had all flown to LA to do our pitch. And by some magic, some LA magic, we just got a notification that we were going to get a quick meeting with Kenya before we went into our Netflix pitch. And I was dripping in sweat. I really wasn't sure what he was going to be like and if he liked us. And we went into the meeting and he was just like, I'm on board. Let's do this. So we were like, amazing. (laughs) It was so cool. Yeah. He just is a huge fan of comedy created by people of color who have a perspective and also can have a lot of fun. And he was very, very supportive. And a lot of the sketches that weren't just silly, but also had a thread of social commentary. Kenya was looking at that very closely and just making sure that our perspective was clear and unique. And so he gave a lot of really, really great feedback. And I felt really protected by him and his team as we went from writing to shooting it. And then after the show was released. So it really felt like someone you really look up to has your back. Like, when does that happen? So that was really special. That's such a great feeling. And, you know, I want to kind of touch on something that you mentioned The social commentary elements of Astronomy Club are definitely things that I gravitated towards. And even you can kind of sense it. And it it is, as I said, very rare to see a show like that where the cast, the writers, everybody feels Black or at least understands Mm -hmm. the the Black experience, you know, especially being a, for our listeners, spoiler alert, I am a Black woman. Uh, (laughs) 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 Surprise. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, but... Oftentimes, you know, when you see Blackness represented in that capacity, especially in kind of more mainstream comedy, it's usually there's like one or two of us on a show, you know, Mm -hmm. and then it's a team of 10 non-Black people, let's say. And, And so, you know, something for me that was really powerful was that the show definitely demonstrated that Black is not a monolith right? Each Mm -hmm. one of you guys has your own experience, your own sense of humor, your own way of 
doing things that I thought was really great. And you kind of touched on, you know, your experience that you kind of felt when you were coming up earlier in in your Mm -hmm. sketch career and and through that experience. And having gone through that myself, having been a student at Upright Citizens Brigade in New York with Keisha, actually, at the time I was there, she was the only Black teacher. I didn't know if there was Mm -hmm. another one. I tried desperately to get into her class and I was denied. (laughs) But feeling very othered in that experience, Mm -hmm. to put it very lightly, especially in improv classes where people were not even getting my jokes, in sketch classes where it's funny, but because everybody else is white, you're literally like not getting the irony of certain things, you know? Curious about if you can give us a bit more on that experience, you know, it is Black History Month now, and so people are kind of paying attention. (laughs) So curious to kind of hear a bit more about your experiences and, and what are some of the ways that you feel like if things are trying to get better or, you know, what, what are ways that we could maybe improve? Yeah. Astronomy Club used to have a show, an improv show that we did that was called Let's Talk About Race Baby, where we would have the audience come up to a mic and tell us something that either made them uncomfortable, something they did or something they saw or something that happened to a family member or a friend. And we would then improvise off of those stories, which were uncomfortable and we were sifting through it to find humor, but also kind of trying to feel better and to help each other heal by finding some humor. And the audience would fluctuate depending on like what was happening in the country. So if it was after some kind of horrific racist event, the crowd would swell. And then if it was just kind of like a normal day or whatever, it would get smaller. Mm -hmm. And so For your first point, all of us working with how we think about our identities is really important to us. And the majority of the folks on the team before we kind of moved on with the show were all teachers at UCB. And it was really important for all of the young people of color watching us to know that we understand that this material is charged, but we're still going to find a way to find some commentary or perspective on it that feels humorous. So that was something that was really important to us. Mm -hmm. And then from my own personal experience starting out doing improv in college. And I had done improv in high school and in elementary school. It really is one of my favorite things that I really is a strength of mine. And still in classes, someone would say something crazy to me. They would immediately label my character as like Lashwanda or whatever. And not knowing that they're stereotyping me, they're putting into position. And I would find a way to kind of say, well, Lishwanda can be a bear who's a scientist, who's also a part of NASA, who's going to the moon or whatever. Like, I'm still going to have fun, but I saw what you did. And I'm probably going to talk to the teacher about it after. And then later when I became a teacher, I kind of started to really enjoy my classes because they started to self-select where I would get more women and more people of color who wanted to find a place that felt really safe and that they could try out different things and I could understand the commentary and to have a classroom that kind of looked like them. So at UCB, there started to be kind of pockets and holes of places where it was starting to get more diverse and progressive. That being said, if all of those folks at one time are all coming from one team. That's not great, (laughs) you know, (laughs) so it's still a problem. But it was something that was really important to us. And I also love your point about Blackness is not a monolith. Like I am mixed race, first generation immigrants, whereas 
Monique is from Canada. There are other folks who are part of the Black diaspora. There are folks who are from different socioeconomic experiences, from the suburbs, from the city. And still we can find common ground on what we find funny, but I might write a sketch about gingerbread cookies dying and it has nothing to do with race and that's also okay. So it's a whole mix of stuff. But yeah, just to end all of that, (laughs) being a woman of color in comedy, I think in any of the arms is always difficult, especially sketch and improv. That's a really small amount of women of color. So finding the people I felt safest with was a big priority. But also if I was on stage and something messed up happened, I had to speak to it and find a comedic response because the audience, you can feel their stress. Yes. Oh my God. I was in a scene where the pattern that had been established was that one performer steps forward and then who the person they're speaking to says, you're a real estate agent from blank. And so for everyone, it was like this part of Manhattan, this part of Manhattan, whatever, whatever, whatever. And then when I stepped forward, it was like, oh, Harlem. And the audience literally gasped. (laughs) They were like, and I was like, no, you racist asshole from Queens, like whatever, (laughs) you know? And then we could move forward. And then after that show, a friend would come up to me and say, I'm really sorry. And I'm like, I know, but you know, you can understand the position you put me in on stage and I had to respond yeah. to it. So yeah, I think the women of color who came up at that theater do have like a little bit of some battle wounds, if you will, but yeah. slowly but surely getting better. Slowly but surely, you know, we'll, we'll see whenever sketch ends up being a thing again, you know, because yeah. all those theaters have been closed for a They're while. closed. But... <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm like, I, I had a show at Magnet that got canceled. It was last April. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, we get it back. Right. I hope it'll be better. I hope so. I've been donating to them. So mm-hmm. we, we hope so. First off, shout out to Monique from Canada. Woot, woot. I'm from Toronto. So we, <laughs> somehow, some way, Canada makes its way into to every episode, even if I don't bring it up. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. It's always a good thing. And also, I live in Harlem. What's the problem and with that? I love Harlem. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do as well. I won't, I, I want to say like, where? But you know, it's a podcast. But me too. I'm in Harlem as well. See, it's a great place. Yeah. Um, so I know you said that you can't really give us the sneak peek in terms of what might be going on with Astronomy Club. So mm-hmm. I will uh, not pressure you to give us that. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll pivot a little bit to talk a little bit more about your journey. And mm-hmm. um, you've given us such a great insight. I think, you know, I was doing a little bit of research on you. And uh, not only did you go to Brown, but you've got your BA in ethnic studies, you know, so how has that actually impacted your writing and kind of how the responsibility, do you feel a responsibility in the world to, to kind of sure. you know, bring that to light? Yeah, you know, when I was at Brown, my I never kind of wanted to go into the arts or be an actor performer. Again, having two immigrant parents, that was nuts. I would not do that. But at Brown, they have this system, open curriculum. And yes, I was a tour guide there. So maybe I'm leaning into my go to Brown. But anyway, (laughs) you have this kind of open curriculum where you could kind of try out different things. And as a mixed race woman, at that time, the classes that were the most interesting to me had to do with race and identity. And they were coming out of this one department called ethnic studies. And I just loved it. And I was doing that and kind of maybe I'll do like business. And then I was like, no, maybe maybe I'll do neuroscience. No, but I always came back to those classes, which really gives you a wonderful overview of 
how race is a construct and the history of how we view race in America and how it's evolved over time and different groups that have been either in a positive or negative light, depending on where the pendulum is. And I feel like that should be in everyone's kind of not even college, like earlier than that, you should have this kind of teaching, but it was just genuinely like what I was interested in. And after I graduated from college, I wanted to work at Juilliard and kind of not Juilliard specifically, but over at um, the Lincoln Center, Mm -hmm. just because I wanted to be near the arts, but I wanted to work in art administration. And I ended up getting an internship at Juilliard's opera department, just as an admin, scheduling things and listening to gorgeous music most of the day. But at night was just going and taking improv classes, because that's what I did for fun in college. And it just kind of snowballed. Eventually, I won an award this UCB NBC um, scholarship where you do kind of like a character performance of like five or six characters in like four minutes or whatever. And I got my agent and my manager from that and slowly started doing commercial auditions and then kind of legit acting auditions and then slowly got my literary agent. So it all kind of happened organically, which is crazy. But yeah, I was just kind of looking for joy. And I had my survival job and it just kind of happened. That's just such a a beautiful story. And I think for our listeners to sort of hear the importance of kind of finding your joy, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, you have the ideal is to make your joy your day job, basically, you know, because that kind of protects your mental health a little bit. Mm -hmm. I love how you just you know, nonchalantly, we're like, oh, maybe I'll be a neuroscientist. Not nah, okay. I'll study this. Like, okay, buddy, cut, cut it out. Like, oh no, I bought that book book and I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> I refunded that immediately. So, no. <laughs> okay, all right, that was an option. Okay, uh, <laughs> but I think that that's really important. And I think obviously, not only was it joyful for you, you were good at it, and not only good, exceptional at it to be able to be in a position that you are right now. And it's interesting because perhaps if there had been a pandemic at the wrong time in in yeah. your journey, things may have shifted and pivoted mm-hmm. for you. And I'm just curious in terms of, obviously you've adapted, you know, you're a writer, albeit sort of on Zoom calls right now, but kind of what impact do you think that this is having, especially, you know, we're, we're almost a year in at this point in terms of the pandemic. Like, how do you think that that's impacting people that are coming up as well as those that are kind of missing a bit of their joy right now? Yeah. When the pandemic started and people started to find kind of other ways to perform, like doing Zoom improv shows, I really resisted it. I was like, it's not the same experience. I really don't want to be involved. I think it'll actually make me depressed. And it wasn't until maybe like three months ago that a group of people I loved were coming together to do a show. And I was like, okay, well, if anything, I'll be there just to see my friends. And it was so much fun, but it had less to do with making other people laugh and more to do with my own like mental health of performing and seeing my friends and I'm laughing myself because if I think back to what my schedule was pre-pandemic, I had a show every Saturday night at our 42nd Street Theater, Hell's Kitchen here in New York, and at least four three-hour classes that I was teaching to comedy students and I was laughing all the time. And my brain was really fast and then it all stopped. So once 
everything stopped. I was just kind of sitting around for a couple of months thinking about what my next move was. And I decided to email friends and contacts and, you know, ask for help. Like what is my next move? And I don't think I would have ever have done that in the security of, you know, my teaching gig and going to my shows and I'll do some auditions, do some writing packets. I'll find my next gig. But I don't think I would have ever reached out if I didn't feel the stress of the pandemic. And when I did, that slowly created a chain reaction that slowly got me to the Tonight Show, which is awesome. And I love having a purpose and it helps me laugh every single day. But yeah, I think the the pandemic has made us all creative in a different way. And really my mental health needs to see people and laugh most days. So I can't wait for it to go back to normal, but (laughs) this is where we're at. You know, it's interesting because that notion of sort of acquiescing, I guess is the word to the circumstance and sort of figuring out what you need to do to be okay Mm -hmm. in this situation is definitely a common theme that we've heard, especially for folks that are in the arts. You know, I've got my day job, but my side hustle was comedy, you know, so it's like now you're just here in front of the screen all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that something that you mentioned, which I, I do think is really interesting is the notion of asking for help Mm -hmm. because it's also something that we see people that have sort of found again their joy found a way to sort of deal with this without being completely in the darkness is because they've actually done that they've actually kind of understood that it's not something that you can actually do alone right and there's no shame in actually reaching for help and it's interesting because I think if there's anything that this has taught us don't wait for a pandemic to ask for help. <laughs> yeah, 200%. Like it, it shouldn't take all of New York City to shut down before I'm like, maybe I'll send some emails to see <laughs> what people are up to. Yeah, asking for help. And also just, I think one of the most productive teams that I've been a part of just with friends that I partnered with towards the beginning of the uh, pandemic, we were like, we're going to meet every week at this time. We're all going to say exactly, you know, how much we're going to write or what we're working on. Cause we wanted to just like get some new projects done. And I've done that in person and it didn't really have the same seriousness. Cause it was like, Oh, we can meet up anytime. But I think like only seeing my friends via Zoom and not seeing them at the teacher's lounge or at the theater or on stage. But this is it. This is all the time we had. It kind of brought more accountability and we all got a lot of work done and it was really special. So I think, yeah, the pandemic has made me more accountable and more open to asking for help, which I don't want to say it's sad. I learned something, but, you know, I want to use that moving forward post-pandemic as well. Yes, we're trying to get to the post-pandemic world. Mm-hmm. I think we're, yeah. we're all trying to. We're all trying to just even even if it's a stage and there's ten people in the audience, can we get a stage? Yeah. Like, please, <laughs> you know. You know, before our theater closed, I was like getting ready to go in and, and teach a class, and then I got the email that Broadway went dark, and so we won't be teaching our classes. And for a moment, I sat there and I was like, "All right, well." We're still going to do our show on Saturday, right? I guess we'll stay six feet apart, but then I guess the audience, maybe we'll do half. And then when they were like, no, it's all closed. I was like, what? I really, I didn't believe it, but yeah, those theaters are closed. Yeah. <laughs> so what can and you do? You just didn't know 
when, you know, there, there was a point to your point of like, you know, it took you until literally three months ago to be like, okay, fine, I'll do this like Zoom show, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. probably because you were like, no, shows will be back at some point, you know, yeah. you know, and, and, and then you kind of get into this understanding that, yeah. you know, you, you kind of just got to figure it out. It's, it's interesting because I feel like we're kind of living in a Black Mirror episode. And <laughs> nice <laughs> transition. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and uh listeners surprise caroline was actually on black mirror <laughs> so this might be a little surreal for you but tell us a little bit about what that was like and you know how you think that show is applicable to the world we're living in oh yeah little plug for astronomy club for that season where my episode that i was in striking vipers where i play a small role two other astronomy club members are in another episode the one with miley cyrus so all three of us were like oh look at us in black mirror but uh that was like the coolest job i had had to date because one it filmed in brazil in sao paulo um so i got a little vacation out of it but uh yeah, it was a really awesome experience. And I'm a huge fan of that show, even though, you know, it doesn't kind of run comedically. I, I do think the muscles that are being used for the writing are similar in the sense of let's take something that we all consider to be very normal and let's blow it out. I have a siren coming by. So <laughs> it's a nice taste of New York City, if you will. Kind of ominous at the moment. It sounds like it's getting closer. Yeah. Am I okay? I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Is that Harlem? Is that that, that stereotype right now? (laughs) But yeah, we're, I think I'm good. But anywho, yeah, I've always just really appreciated the writing and how they can take one part of society like dating and blow it out. I love this episode about finding your match and going through those simulations until you find your perfect match. It's my favorite episode. It's called Hang the DJ. And the episode that I was in was about the most extreme version with other things going on of when you decide to play in a video game with someone remotely. And I'm just kooky neighbor finding a comedic moment in that. But yeah, that episode was a little ahead of its time playing remote video games and moving in there and not going outside. Mm -hmm. Kind of crazy. First of all, I, I actually should have said my favorite sketch in Astronomy Club is good old fashioned shade. Um, oh. Absolutely love the writing in that as an English major. Uh, hey. you know, maybe that was not uh, everybody's cup of tea, but that was my fave. And Rob told me to give your team an extra big shout out for Dookie's funeral. So that was- uh, <laughs> Dookie's <laughs> funeral home. Yeah, that one's really fun. Dookie's funeral home. Yeah. Uh, so listeners, Caroline just plugged Astronomy Club again. I'm plugging it again. So make sure you go check that out. And I want to actually find out where and when that might potentially be coming back. But I said I was not going to ask that question again. Yeah, there, <laughs> we're, we're moving towards it. And there's nothing I can say about that. But Shade Off, I wrote. And that um, truly where the idea began. And this is a pre-Bridgerton world. Right. So I literally was sitting in the writer's room and I was like, you know what? I want to wear a petticoat and be all dressed up as if I'm in the Victorian era. But 
I don't want to be a slave. I just want to believe that we live in a world where this happened and these are all well-to-do society people. And so um, from Isn't that- is it crazy that that is so radical? So yeah. I, I, just, I just find that it's like, wow, Bridgerton is this awesome show because Black people are not slaves. And it's yeah. like, I'm like, yo, buddy, what? Okay, sorry, continue. I know, but truly- when I was thinking about the auditions that I do and, you know, I'm like, when will that happen? And to me, it felt like a million years away. And then Bridgerton happened and, oh man, I watched all of that in a day because I love a period piece. So yeah, Keisha and Monique were very excited about that. And everyone got into their fantastic costumes. And then the overarching comedic idea is just how do they throw shade with the restrictions of being polite in this society at this time period, but it's very kind of like loose. There's nothing like historically accurate about it, but it was the most fun ever on set having that opportunity. And in my living room, I actually have the main portrait that was painted on the set. You couldn't see all of them based off of how it was shot, but there were five portraits on the three walls that we had at that set that were hand painted of kind of women of color, in situations that you would see at that time period. So maybe like a woman hunting or like near a boat that had gone down or just really epic scenes. And so that one I got to keep. And now she lives above my couch as kind of the lady of my home. And it's really special. I love how you have to put on your accent, the lady of my home. (laughs) Yes. And for, for our listeners who may not be as familiar with the colloquial term shade, and you're not mm-hmm. taking my air quotes, it means, you know, insults, uh, fun jabs, if you will, that are very, very, very hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's I am reading you. I am keeping myself cool, calm and collected, but I'm just giving you little nuggets of it's not even hostility. It really is just like a little check of like. I see you. I'm better than you, but I'm going to be civil. And so that just felt perfect for that particular time period. Because I always love, like in Pride and Prejudice, any actress who's portrayed, um, what's her name? Like Lady DeBerg or so. I don't remember her exact name, but there's this lady who's always an asshole, but she's just like completely composed and just throwing it out. That's shade. Yeah. She had some shade there. So that was the idea there. That's basically my grandma. So, you know, Uh, (laughs) literally can say the meanest thing in the nicest possible way. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So, We always end our shows with a piece of advice, and I've got two questions for you. So first of all, what advice would you give aspiring performers, comedy writers, actors, sketch writers who are just trying to figure out how to adapt right now in this completely different landscape? Yeah, I would say finding a group of people, and it could be a small group, just three of you in total, that you meet with over Zoom and you give each other goals. I'm going to write three sketches or a pilot, whatever. And right now it's really difficult to do a full sketch in person, but you can always write a character piece just for yourself and perform that on Zoom or just record it and send that over to your friends to give you notes. I've gotten emails from different people who are like, can you run an improv class over Zoom? And it has been done I'm curious 
what the students think. Maybe it's a dang blast. I, I don't know if I'm there yet, but, you know, try out the different versions of class that's happening currently in this climate. And if anything, you might find some kindred spirits to work with, even if it is a little adapted. But yeah, find a way to work. Because when I was writing for Astronomy Club for our first season, I really would sit and wait for the wind of inspiration to move through me for me to write this sketch. And with The Tonight Show, we at minimum, write a sketch a day, you know? So it's like, just put some pressure on yourself to make some work happen while also being kind to yourself that you're in a pandemic and this is crazy. But if you are up to it, get some work done. That's a great, that's a great advice. And do you think that there's anything that folks are not, that are not entertainers or that are not sort of in that world? Are there things that you think that they could potentially learn from folks like you? Sure, I think- for Improv 101, when I used to teach that, and we would have folks who would come in for public speaking, and really they were all focused on, I'm afraid I'm getting on stage, this is what this class is about. And I would say that the core takeaway of improv is empathy. I hear what you said, and I'm going to respond to exactly what you said so that you know that I care about what you said. And also there's less work for me to do. If I'm just in the moment exactly where you just like left off, I'm fine. And so the people who are the most successful were people who just genuinely cared and wanted their scene partner to look good because they loved what they were saying. So yeah, there's, there's so much you can learn from improv and sketch, but I think it starts with empathy. Yeah, that's great. So find a way to work and find the empathy. Those are great pieces of advice. Well, Caroline, thank you so much for joining us today on the Disruptor series. Really appreciate it. And I am very much looking forward to (laughs) (laughs) the Orange Shiny Club. Okay. Yes. Hopefully, fingers crossed, you'll see something soon. I think I got my toes crossed too. Uh, (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time today. Of course. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's agency podcast of the year. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashydayny.com.